Hello and welcome to Snakes and Ladders, a podcast about our time in the workplace, career ups and downs, and the tips and tricks we've picked up along the way. You are hosted today by myself, Peter Conroy, and you, Julian Armstrong. What's up, my brother? <laughs> How you doing? Coming up on today's show, mentors and advocates. We discuss the importance of having friends in high places. Speaking of friends in high places, later we look at some famous but very unlikely friendships. But first, the macaroni to my cheese, <laughs> Mr. Julian Armstrong. I hope you don't run out of those. <laughs> <laughs> I have a list. I write them down in my notes app. <laughs> okay. How are you, man? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. Um, we're watching the Australian Open. Did you watch it? Uh, I saw an Italian one. Italian did win, yes. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, uh, my family's uh, Italian, so I've always got this like... Like secret know, un- underdog thing going on. Yeah. Did so you it's ch- like when back in the day when the Olympics were on in Sydney, there was like this Italian swimmer, Alex Popov. Yep. I remember like him. Russian Italian. Yeah. You yeah, probably yeah. Remember, remember him because he was handsome. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the name. Yeah. And it, it was like the 50 meter like sprint. Yeah. Uh, swimming. Yeah. He was like the only good Italian swimmer. Do you remember? <laughs> I was like, um, yeah. Do you remember there was one period of time, like Australian swimmers always do fucking really well. We do really, like, it's funny because swimming is always like the first two, three days of the Olympics. Mm. And so Australia always like fucking comes charging out of the gates on the, on the medal tally. And then after that, we, we die. Yeah. But like, I remember there was one year where the Dutch sent a couple really fucking good swimmers. And there was one guy named Peter van den Hoogenband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember him, yeah. And I just remember that year being <laughs> like, oh, we didn't do that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, for F1 fans, Lewis Hamilton's moved to Ferrari. I read that in the news Hectic. this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big F1 fan. Yeah. So is my wife, so that's all we're talking about. Do you like moment. him, though? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I think he's awesome. Yeah. Um, Mercedes is screwed now. <laughs> well, he's got one more year, but... And, uh, Imagine having to work there for a whole year after being like... Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like your notice period. Yeah, there's a long notice period. Yeah, but everyone knows when you notice periods, like when you hand in your resignation, you're just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you're just like, I'm not thought of that. That's really weird. Um, and uh, everyone will be happy to hear that I don't have a cold. <laughs> yeah, I know. You sound crisp and clear. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, Still nice. nasally like every Australian. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's that way of uh, speaking. Yeah. Cool, man. Nice, How, man. How's your week, though? Yeah, no complaints. Um, went to South Africa. Finished from Renault's, went to South Africa. Yeah, it's been productive. Went and had a bit of um, some nice time in the sun down in Cape Town. And uh, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a lot like Australia, but it's like it's like Australia, but an African version. I can't really explain it. It feels like home, but like a diversion of home. Yeah, okay. Um, but like the landscape there is incredible. It's like, definitely on my uh, bucket list for sure. Yeah, just the Table Mountain and, and the Lion's Head and everything is, is really... Invite me next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for the invite. So, yeah, it's um, definitely, we'll go down there. It's good. Cool, man. Let's get stuck in today. Sweet. Okay, so it's no secret that having friends at work makes your time um, more enjoyable. And we spend roughly what, a third of our lives at work. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's critically important. Um, but most of us don't realize the impact of having friends in high places. Yeah, I mean, from facilitating promotions and avoiding redundancies, having a mentor in leadership roles can have a fundamental impact on your career growth. Yeah. So mentors, advocates, friends, what are we talking about here? So... Yeah, so like the, uh, important to sort of cl- clear up things because I think it, it's it's a common sort of misconception or, or misunderstanding, I guess, that your boss is your mentor. Yeah. Um, y- y- your boss can't be a mentor because I think you know they can they can be your advocate. We'll come back to that in a sec. But your your mentor is someone or, or mentors. You know, both of us have got several. Um, they're people that you can talk to about you know decisions that you're making in your career or. Um, challenges you might be facing or opportunities that that might be in front of you and give you advice um, without kind of a um, biased lens. Mm -hmm. So typically the best mentors are people outside of your organization um, because they're they're coming at it from a fresh set of of eyes. Um, Whereas advocates are people inside your organization who best way I've, I've heard it described, they're, they're the people in the room where you're being spoken about and they're 
They've got your best interests at heart. They've got your back. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're fighting your your battles for you. You're not even there to be fighting for yourself. Um, and they're they're sort of putting your best foot forward for you. Yeah, and I think something to point out is we talk about your boss being your advocate, but there's also it's very nuanced thinking about the kinds of people you choose to influence, like your tenure in the business. So. Yeah. I think a lot of people may have come across the position that they have a boss that wants them to stay exactly where they are because they're a benefit to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important when choosing the kinds of people you want to advocate for you, kind of how that fits into your overall plan and trajectory. So, you know, having an advocate that's in senior leadership that's not necessarily too concerned about sort of what you're doing in that very present moment but more about your overall influence in the business is a really important thing to consider mm-hmm. definitely so h- how do you kind of establish these relationships i mean so in my experience for me personally the kinds of people i've had advocate for me have been people that i have done work with mm-hmm. so i would I feel like one suggestion off the top of my head is really honestly take the opportunity wherever you can to like cross pollinate your workflow. Mm. So, you know, I've recently done a lot of work with the environmental department Mm -hmm. in our business. I think any opportunity you have to do project work with people outside of your immediate sort of vicinity, I think is a good chance to expose yourself to those kinds of people. Well, I think in reality, anyone can be your advocate. Yeah. Um, with respect to the, and it's just good sense to, you know, not burn bridges and stuff like that uh, within a workplace. Um, my mum said to me something I always found really frustrating, but sometimes you just got to play the game and every, every interaction is, is like important. So even if you're in the lift going up to your, you know, to reception in your, in your office, the the start of the day and somebody else gets in lift with you. Um, and you don't smile, you don't say hello, good morning, or whatever. That's that's a an interaction that can be important. So every everyone could be your advocate, but I guess within this context, we're really talking about people who will transform and and catapult your career. Well, I mean, on that, so w- what kind of things should you be de- demonstrating to someone in that circumstance? So we, I mean, there's one thing to make mates with someone, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. we've talked about social events. You can find yourself having an interesting conversation with a senior leadership member at a worker function. Yeah. And that's great if you can manage to organically strike up, you know, commonality between you and someone in sort of senior influential positions. That's a really good start and serendipitous. Mm. But let's say you're a shy person who isn't particularly social. How then do you go about it? Like I'm I'm assuming that it's really demonstrating your capability. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so sticking sticking with advocates for a minute, um, it's a a two-way street. Right, like if you're shit at your job, no one's going to sit in the boardroom and go, "Oh yeah, look after this guy or girl." Like, you know, um, they're really valuable to the business. No one's going to put their neck out for you. Um, so demonstrating value and capability is the underlying thing. You know, yeah, uh, not being someone that's lazy. You, you'll never have a good advocate if you are lazy. Yeah. Um, so there's a fundamental, constant, you know, expectation that at least you're performing and you're of value to those individuals um beyond that then obviously there's the kind of relationship building element um that you know like you can build that on on sort of common ground and mutual interests and stuff like that which we we've spoken as you said spoken about in sort of social settings i think that's tricky though does because that really relies on an alignment of a bunch of things that you don't always have the luxury of having yeah but um, you should always be able to fall back on the fact that there's a respect for your capabilities. Absolutely. Um, I think I, I was saying to you earlier, the, the thing for me that has been consistent in terms of being able to build very strong advocacy is that I align myself with someone who is just as um, driven to perform. Mm-hmm. So um, if it's a board member, it's someone that wants to drive the business to a better position. Well, it's interesting. So on that, so you've kind of flagged something that I think is interesting, which would probably be a false friend for a lot of people is someone who's driven for the business to perform versus someone who's driven for their own performance. Yeah. Because you might find that you might meet one of these senior leadership people and actually their main vested interest is their own yeah. sort of progress and their own success. Mm. And so you actually might seem like a bit of a threat to that person. Definitely, yeah. It, it's a tricky one. And um, I've been caught out a few times in my career, um, assuming that people are 
just wanting altruistic and wanting the business yeah, to perform. Yeah, wanting to just be in, in a high performance organization and do their part, but in reality, they just want their bonus and their paycheck, and yep. they couldn't give a shit about doing the extra stuff. Well, on that, so like, I think something like if there were say some cheat codes here, right? Hmm. I think one very quick way that you can get in good stead with someone is if you identify that someone is trying to push or drive an initiative mm. and if you feel like you can contribute to that initiative that's a really really good way yeah to get in someone's good favor particularly a senior member yeah so if a senior member is working on say a new project that you know helps identify performance issues with the business and it's data yeah. driven or if there's a you yeah. know dashboarding involved there's something you have as a skill mm. you can volunteer yourself to be a part of that cause yeah definitely there's there's no getting away from the fact that in if you're going to develop relationships with people in high places, you need to be valuable. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to work fucking hard. Yep. You will, you're will. you not going to get anywhere if you think you're just going to get handed these things on a silver platter. You, yep. you need to be able to demonstrate that you put the extra yards in. And, it, and it's a conscious decision as well, quite often. Yep. I'm, I'm not doing my role per se in doing this thing. I'm doing extra to my role. But that's an investment decision that I'm going to make to be able to build a relationship with a very high person that's going to pay off later on. I think something that's really tough as well. I mean, this whole topic is very, it's very easy for us to kind of say, make a friend in a high place. But there is a lot of tricky elements to this. Like something else that you need to be kind of wary of is politics. Yeah. So, you know, if you attach yourself to a controversial person or even someone that you might not necessarily, might not have a good relationship with your line manager, mm. you are in the danger zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your line manager could feel threatened by this as well. Um, you know, why 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 is this person spending so much time with a board member? Yeah. Why do they get invited to social events like for, for work and I don't? Yeah. You got to be very careful about how you go about this. Mm -hmm. um, in that example, I would try and drag my manager with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, as much as possible, and and sort of step them up in the same vein. And so, do you think there's it almost seems like we're kind of we're kind of working out some some fundamental rules here. Do you think there's a limitation on the level of seniority you should be aiming for depending on your role type? So say you're really junior. Mm. Do you think it'd be wise to buddy up to someone who's in the executive team? Uh, I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, but I think you will be limited in um, the interactions and you need to have just as good a relationship with your own boss, yeah. uh, I would say. So you need to work on both because there, there will fundamentally be a, a sort of threat factor there. Absolutely. Um, so if your boss doesn't necessarily have a huge ego, it makes it easier. Which is rare though. Potentially, yeah. yeah. But um, if you can demonstrate this is going to be valuable to your boss and to you, you know, like... I'd say a good rule of thumb in terms of like the most leverage that you're going to gain out of one of these relationships is maybe like two levels above you. So like maybe someone on your boss's boss's level. Yeah. Um, I, I, I sort of was lucky early on. I, I was, um, I became close with a, an executive who was, you know, my boss's 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 boss or something. Yeah. Um, and that was what you were talking about before. I was given a task to, or, or I volunteered to do a task. Um, and so I started working very closely with that person. Mm. And before you know it, it wasn't really a problem that my boss didn't care about it uh, or didn't like it. Um, I was working around my boss anyway. And very quickly after that, I wasn't reporting to that person anyway. Mm. So it's quite opportunistic, I would say. Um, but I do think there's a, there's a massive point there, like adding value and doing sort of additional tasks and sort of volunteering work, even if it's beyond your nine to five, mm. creates these opportunities. I think part of that is making sure that you don't neglect your, your, your standard duties, as you said. Yeah. I think that, you know, you're creating opportunity to cause friction and tension with your own line manager. Yeah. You do your damn job well, Absolutely. nine to five, but you're doing extra stuff. It is extra. It's that's, not like that's fundamental. It. Yeah, because yeah. I think you find yourself in a position where, say, you're working on something for someone in senior leadership, you're instantly kind of creating a bit of a poor reputation for yourself that you kind of drop whoever it is that you have responsibilities to at an instant in order to kind of make a quick gain somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at the very outset of your career, you potentially don't have any direct reports too so you do have time yep. like and an energy to focus on things that are beyond your nine to five without it being massively hindered or impacted by people 
dragging your attention away that are in your team. Yeah. So I'd say early on in your career is the best way, like best time to do it. But you're right, like you can't give your boss any reason to be pissed off with you for not doing a good job in your fundamentals. Well, I mean, so another thing I kind of want to flag then is, so say we've got a listener here who is hasn't hasn't currently got an advocate or mm-hmm. a, or or someone in senior leadership team they have a good relationship with. Yeah. What do you think would be some of the obstacles that that person would have to overcome, and wh- how would they overcome them? I think um, it's probably a good time to to dive into some of the the challenges that we've got with with standard work practices now. Um, social events are critically important to creating like a dialogue yeah it doesn't have to be about work but like an awareness if you're in a very big company just someone knowing your name to begin with is a good is a good starting point because then you see them in the hallways and then it becomes like a you know a a deeper conversation what are you working on now like oh okay that's interesting i've heard of that project oh okay i've heard that this person's actually doing a great job in that project okay cool conversations 101 really yeah exactly um i think people shouldn't fake their capabilities in those conversations too because if if the conversations continue and you have larger and more frequent interactions with senior people and Mm. you're pretending to know what you're talking about you'll get caught out um look if i may so something i've found and this is just sort of a natural skill i have and my partner doesn't have this which i always it's a natural thing for me and him and very unnatural for sorry natural for me unnatural for him Mm. is being a conversationalist right yeah and so Something I think that a lot of young people might struggle to overcome is most of these people who you're trying to kind of build a relationship with are of a complete different generation to you. You don't actually have a lot of common ground Mm. at face value, but really if you dig a little bit deeper, you do. Because all these people will probably have daughters, maybe grandkids, Mm -hmm. people of your age bracket. So, you know, I find that with – like for me, my my trick that Mm. I use is I like to know a little bit – I know a little bit about – a lot of stuff mm. in play, in terms of places. Yep. So typically I say, oh, you know, where are you from originally? That's mm. always a good starter for me because I know a lot of stuff about lots of places and people yeah. will say, oh, I'm from Glasgow, or I'm from blah, or I'm from wherever. And I know enough to be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that, whatever. And it's mm. I'm not making shit up. Um, and most people, that's the thing, trick number one, people love to talk about themselves. Yeah. Like... Well, I would go like I, I in my experience is just my experience, but it's even easier than that. Your fundamental commonality or, or is work is work, right? Yeah. And senior people like to talk about what what's, they're working on, you know, what they're working on, what some of the challenges are, and stuff like that. Yep. It's a learning opportunity yep. as well as an opportunity to create a relationship. Yep. So, just asking Show genuine interest. Yeah, asking questions like, you know, I'm interested in this project that's going on, or yep. interested in this transaction, or heard we're you know looking at you know um buying out this company yep. you know i'd love to understand how that works yep. is there an opportunity for me to kind of spend some time to learn that i would even outside like of you know my nine to five thing i would even maybe i would even pair it back slightly from like kind of petitioning someone to just asking questions yeah people are very um enamored by the the concept of people taking interest in them we yep. all are we're all narcissistic yeah. in our own way so as soon as someone, and I know I found myself in a position where someone's asked me questions and I'd be like, wow, that's, yeah, what a nice person. Like, you know, you're a little bit like you remember them, right? And mm. that same goes for senior leadership people. Because I think the thing you'll find as well is like, and I wonder what this would be like to be either like a celebrity or a politician or something, is people would constantly be like kind of ass kissing. So how do you, how do you get that yeah. person's attention without making it obvious you're trying to get their attention? So you need, you need to be genuine yeah. 100%. Yeah. So don't go into the relationship going, okay, I'm going to get this out of this person. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just, it, it will organically benefit you anyway. Yeah. But bear in mind that all of these people were in the same situation as you yeah. at one point and they were all like going through the same thing. So um, I mentor a ton of different people within the organization that I work in now and, and outside it. And yeah. I love doing that. Yeah. Like, and if more people came up to me and said, Oh, could you mentor me? I would never say no. Like I'd say, Oh, I've got limited time or whatever, but of course I want to help people. It's because I was in their situation previously. Yeah. So I've been given a, a leg up. I've been helped. I want to do this. It's, I want to pass it on, you know, pay it forward. So there is always that underlying thing and i think when people work in different industries where it's always relationship based like if you're an actor or an actress and you're going for a role like you're up against 
tons of different people. If you know someone, it makes it easier. Yeah. It's the same thing with interviewing for a role, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're on LinkedIn trying to find a job, mm. th- these people are seeing hundreds of applications quite often for these roles. If you know someone in that business, you're getting put on the top of the pile. Mm. Like, uh, and that's kind of just the way that world the world works. There's no like. There's no getting around it. Well, it's funny. You're talking about the ass kissing portion of things. Like I think something to make really clear is like if you don't have good chemistry with said person you've decided to pursue, yeah, pick someone else. Yeah, don't force it. Don't force it, man. Because like they'll yeah. feel it. You'll feel it. It just yeah. won't go anywhere. Yeah. If anything, it'll probably hurt your relationship. You're better off being an unknown quantity than someone that person actually just doesn't like. Yeah, I completely agree. Like it, it becomes obvious that you're forcing the relationship. There's board members um, where I'm at where like I can talk to them for about 10 minutes and then I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, and then I just got to walk away. Like yeah. at our Christmas party, I was talking to one of them and I, and I was almost like watching my clock. Um, just going okay I think I've got about three more minutes worth of discussion you with need this an person. exit line be like oh, yeah. I'm just going to go get a drink oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey uh, someone over there yeah, yeah. Um, so person. forcing it I think just create like it makes you seem um, disingenuine but and you never want to have that because there's that sort of lack of trust going on yep so if you can establish a relationship with someone where you're actually like you vibe. doing something yeah. of value yeah. and you and you've got a good rapport, that's a starting point. Yeah. And I don't like I appreciate where you're coming from by saying you know like someone two sort of rungs above. I would say that that's correct in, in that it can it can. I think that's where you get the most utility out of the relationship. Yeah, and and it can limit the friction you might have with your line manager. Yeah. But like uh, I've I've gone the other way and gone to the top of the tree and being able to establish some relationships. But it, you, it's got to be going somewhere, you know? Well, it depends on the size of the business. Like I know in that business you were talking about, it was a like a small-ish business. It wasn't yeah. hard to kind of get into the, you know, the orbit of that kind of person. If you're at a multinational, yeah, you know, and there's still, a lot of... Still 400 people. It's not like tiny, but... Yeah, but I'm talking... Like, it, let's was say very, it was ther- very like family feel. Exactly. But yeah. if say you work for like HSBC yeah. and, you know, there's 10,000 people, you yeah. know, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. And I think in terms of utility, who's to say you can't have more than one mentor? That's the or one more than one advocate. The thing is you sort of you can climb. So you have your person two above you. Well, I think you know, I, I would say you need more than one. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've we've been discussing this more recently. Um, when you get higher up in an organization, the problem is that uh, board members don't have a massively long shelf life. No. Generally. Yeah. Or executives don't necessarily either. And if you've got one advocate, you've got one of those people... You like, get thrown out the, w- <laughs> the window with the water. <laughs> and they leave, yeah, yeah you're, you're, going, you're going with them potentially, right? Yeah. Which is not... It, it's not a nice place to be in. It's not a nice feeling to, f- to feel very exposed. Um, but bear in mind, these people have got their own careers, their own lives, their own motivations to you know make decisions around their careers. So if they leave and go somewhere else... They might take you eventually, but for a very for at least a period, you'll feel very exposed. So well, having more than one is critical. I would. That's say. That's exactly what happened with you and I. So, for the, for the listeners listening, like I've followed um, you twice now. Yeah. So like I worked with you once in Australia. You yeah. fucked off here. Mm-hmm. I was then I first my first time doing this. I you were my only advocate really. Yeah. Um, and I learned that lesson the hard way because you yeah, left yeah, yeah. and suddenly I was very exposed mm. and very unsupported by most of the rest of the business yeah. and it was a shit show. Mm. Uh, and then, as you said, you you know, brought me here and this time I did it very differently. I made a point actually of having a bunch of different advocates, which actually served me really well. So because of that, I actually got promoted into a different role. And we even, I remember we even t- talked about that and yeah. you said, I, I, I really want to like make a conscious decision to stand outside yeah. of like, even you're, even though you're reporting to me um, when you came over, you said, I want to stand outside and like develop my own relationships, which I think was, was a really smart move. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's critically important to have multiple advocates. And and bear in mind, when we say advocates, it's not just, like, a mate that's going to, like, look out for you. Yeah. This is someone who's going to be in a meeting. And, and like if someone has a, has a complaint, like, the, oh, you know, Pete's not really handled this situation particularly well. Yeah. Um, someone's had a complaint about the way he's communicated. That person is literally going to be in the room saying, I don't give a shit. Or they might turn around and even justify and say, like, if they know a bit about you, they'll be like, "Mm, that's not my experience with them. Or, you know, I know they've got stuff going on at the moment or they're under a lot of pressure or 
they just immediately yeah. can soften that complaint. Yeah, you yeah. Know, in so a room I, was being, I was being a bit flippant about it. But no. yeah, they, they, they sort of... Um, Let's they, say you've got they, a board... Yeah, you've they got... They quell it, right? Yeah, exactly. And they, and they sort of like usher it away and, and, and sort of dispel any sort of negativity. That That's someone really putting their neck out for you. Yep. And then they'll come to you and say, by the way, mm, that so thing you did this. didn't land very well. Mm. You need This is a learning experience now. You need to really think about how you land that message differently. That's mm. an advocate, right? Like yep. that, that's a really important role to be playing for someone. Mm. Um, it's leadership, right? It's not management. It's leadership. And so finding someone that's going to do that is difficult. Finding a couple of people that's going to do it is even more difficult. But if you've got a couple... It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, because imagine you've got, say, eight people in a leadership room sitting yeah. around a table yeah. and someone pipes up and says, oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or your name comes up in passing. One person pipes up and goes, oh, you know, don't really think much of them. And then two people counter that and go, oh, you know, I've had really good experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The remaining five people in the room who yeah. are neutral towards you will probably err towards thinking that you're a good bloke. Yeah. And even that kind of spills out even further as, you know, advocates can like can multiply in a sense. Yep, so you, you have one advocate who speaks highly of you to another senior leadership person. And there's multiple ways to do this. Now, this is a tricky way to think about it, but I've done this before and it works incredibly well. If you've got people like peers around you or if you've got people who directly report to you who already have a very good relationship with one of these people that could be a great advocate, just the notion of them singing your praises mm. to that person gets you uh, the same result. So you don't necessarily need to work on multiple advocates which is osmosis yeah, just be good people around you could work on it for you you know yeah um so that, that's that's a key thing as well but i guess going back to mentoring mentoring is very different to ad advocate uh to being an advocate or, or <coughs> advocating um because it, it's really trying to provide um insights and guidance in people's careers um through a different sort of lens and I would say it's really important for people to try and establish those relationships with, pe with uh, people ideally outside of the organization, but you can do it inside the organization as long as it's sort of some way removed from what you do because it's really easy to get stuck in this kind of same train of thinking because of the environment you work in. And you might think that there's only one solution or one decision, but actually when someone's talking to you and they've, they're looking at it from outside in, they've got really great insights. Yeah, well, I mean, after the break, I want to kind of unpeel that a bit more because I know a lot of businesses have formal mentorship programs. Yeah. But I think what you sort of touch on there is like the importance of a mentor and how you view the business, how you sort of act. Yeah. And, and have you ever seen them done well? No. Like, yeah. uh, I'm sure there are ones that, that are done really well. And I've seen some phenomenal frameworks mm. for how to do it. And I'm, I'm more than happy to publish those frameworks because I think they're really good. Mm. Um. But the way that they're adopted, I just don't think I've never seen it work well. And yeah. it and it is such a critical thing if you can get it right. Yeah. Because really what, what you're you're getting is this like this connection between different levels of the business, um, and this transfer of knowledge in particular, which um I think uh industries and, and our um culture and uh, society are losing particularly because of like remote working and that yeah. sort of stuff so we'll come back to that as well yeah cool alright well, well we might unpack that a bit after the break yeah sweet cheers and we're back so as you said before the break um, a lot of businesses have mentorship programs but they're done fairly poorly hmm. so I mean firstly why do you think that is uh, on face value, I think that um, there's l a lack of incentive behind it. Yeah, like it's a bit it, of a box ticking activity, I think. Yeah, if it was me, um, and it, it could just be because pe people who are now mentors have never had a good one, and so they don't really understand what mentorship means. Yeah, and like how to go about it, and um, it feels a little bit unnatural to like um, to facilitate it if you're the mentor, because the mentee should be sort of chasing you, and maybe the mentee has never really understood how this works. Um, well, that's, I mean, in my experience with the people that I've kind of pushed into mentorship programs, yeah, the mentees don't really seem to understand the incentive. Yeah, exactly. So like I've got one, uh, I'm at work, I'm in the program and my mentee, like I've spoken to him about five times um, and I've, I've been overseeing him for like a year and they've, transactional discussions and it's because he's part of this like this um up-and-coming group 
so it's because he has to sort of be in contact with me. And, and I'm like, mate, let's go for a beer. Let's sort of do this stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does, it's not interested. Yeah, I think, do you reckon there's like a, a chemistry thing there as well? Like I always feel... Could be, yeah. The, like the mentee mentorship at like where I work currently is kind of just like throw people at people and see what happens. And I think like, honestly, as I said before, you have you kind of have to vibe off someone. Like at the end of the day, you're going to look seek advice from this person. You're going to kind of be fairly vulnerable about your mm. thoughts and feelings, particularly when it comes to your career and, and yeah. how you're interacting with others. If you don't vibe with them, like you're not going to want to do that. Yeah, I mean, t- credit to the person that's running the program. That, um, she's paired me up with a, a guy who used to play rugby. Um, she, she's paired me up with a guy who's quite it's ambitious. It's like pairing me up with a gay guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I know. what I mean? It's just very like, yeah, you're like, Italian, he's Italian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. True, but like, you know, he he's ambitious. Uh, he, he's got a like, sporting background. Technically, we should have a fair bit to talk about. But You guys I'd, are both Pisces. Yeah, <laughs> but he, I just don't think he understands the value that can be brought from it. He finds it a bit awkward. So there's that, like that kind of incentive from the mentee, but for the mentor... Look, if I was starting a business tomorrow and it, and it grew to a, like a decent size, one of the things that I would definitely do skills is, transfer. yeah, skills transfer, like as part of this thing, but I would yeah. say you are not allowed to get promoted unless you have done a certain amount of mentoring of other people, like not your line manager, like not your direct reports. But, but what does that people. mean and how do you track it? Sure. Like I'd have to go into detail about thinking about how it would work, but you know, one of the biggest concerns I've got in our industry is that there are people leaving and retiring who have got phenomenal technical knowledge yep. and there's this massive gap. Like, did you ever watch, um, oh, there's a um, Robert De Niro movie. I think it's, is it called The Intern? Yes. And he goes and works for Anne Hathaway. Yeah. So Anne like Hathaway. He, <laughs> Anne Hathaway, yeah. So he's reti- like Great such film. a nice film. Lovely like film. Yeah. he's retired and yeah. his wife's dead and it's like sad and Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, he wants some purpose. So he, he he's like this old guy and he goes back as a retired like intern. Yeah. And he ends up teaching the CEO a hell of a lot about life and whatever and business. Yeah. Like retaining that knowledge is critically important. And I think Well she's pretty averse to it at the start of it as well. Definitely, yeah. yeah. But I think everyone's got a duty mm. like to pass on their knowledge and most people want to do it um, because th- they've had it done for them, but they just don't know how to go about it and then it's not a priority quite often. Well, I think you've touched on something really key there. So we talk about mentees not particularly engaging with the process. Mm. If you're a high-performing individual, something you should always bear in mind is there's always something you can learn from everybody. Yeah. And so as a person who's trying to you know, up- level themselves up throughout life, in any capacity, you should always look for opportunities to learn something from people, no matter who it is. And so if you've been given the opportunity or been put in a position where you're paired up with someone who's been fairly successful in the business as in a senior position, I guarantee you there's something worthwhile finding out about from this person. Yeah. I think that's that makes the difference between someone who's, say, maybe ambitious and self-aware versus someone who just yeah. maybe expects their career to just automatically yeah. move forward definitely if you're fortunate enough to be able to choose like outside of the kind of structured programs that companies have if if you go about trying to find a mentor first piece of advice i give you is look at someone who's got a career that you would like to aspire to and it's not a locked in thing you know but if you've got someone that you look up to that's got a career that you want to sort of follow or a lifestyle as well and i'll Hundred percent, you're hundred percent right, I, and I don't, I don't personally look at it that way enough. But it's, it's something you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which I think is a really important point. Um, but if you use that, there will be dozens and dozens of takeaways. I'm not saying you should limit yourself to th- that type of person. You should also try and find people who've got dramatically different careers to you, um, because they'll give you different insights as well. There's, we're in one of our co- uh, upcoming episodes. We're going to talk about you know, career frameworks and career progression and all that sort of stuff and, and how to navigate it. Mm. Um, looking at other people's careers and how they've done it is is really insightful. Well, if I may, actually, on that point. So I was happening to watch on YouTube last night, there was a like a little mini doco on Bev, on um, Leslie Jordan. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the – he passed away during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was this uh, four, foot, four foot 11 gay actor. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. Beverly Leslie and Will, Will and Grace. He's a bunch yep. of things. Mm. And he talked about he came from Tennessee. He was gay, and and um, he had a re- he had a really bad drug and alcohol problem in his younger years. And he went to Hollywood to become an actor. 
And um, he was in Boston Legal. He was in Boston Legal, exactly. Yeah, yes, he's a murderer. Yeah, <laughs> so he basically never wanted to be an actor, actually, mm. but he went to university and took a, one of, an acting class as one of his like extra credit courses and realized that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Anyway, when he moved to Hollywood, um, I do have a point to this. Um, yeah. <laughs> but basically, because he had such a serious drug and alcohol addiction problem, when he was auditioning, he. Basically, at one point, he called his um, sponsor mm -hmm. and the piece of advice they gave him was, how can you be of service as a, as a person who doesn't sort of see any value in taking care of themselves? Mm -hmm. How can you put your best foot forward for other people? Yeah. And he then decided moving forward that he would be the best stand in the best actor the mm -hmm. best whatever he could be yeah. to be as a best of service to the people around him that needed him yeah and it gave him a sense of purpose but that piece of advice resonated with me because at the end of the day like he went into his career seeking to be of service to other people yeah and i think in terms of mentorship you know seeking to be of benefit to others and learning something from them mm. you know that's the exchange right is you yeah I mean, in, in our introduction episode, uh, we talked about like leaving a legacy and how we've both now appreciated that a legacy isn't something tangible, it's the people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's taken us a while to, to learn, but that's 100% right. Like yeah, if you're a leader, you serve people, yeah. you know. So I think throughout this process, as you develop in your career, you should try and uh, enact that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like, me like mentors and... and trying to find the right mentor is is critical um not not sticking to just wh who's the obvious choices is really important as well mm. um and for, like it served my career massively because it's created opportunities and you know for you as well like being able to move overseas yeah i would say go, don't go into it with that sort of outcome expected because that's where it becomes disingenuous yeah um, and i think that's where you're setting yourself up for failure as well yeah now, the tricky thing at the moment is that there's a hell of a lot of remote working. Yeah. Um, and there's companies pushing to try and bring people back into the office. Uh, but there's a generation of, of, of employees that really value remote working. This, uh, I get it, and I think it is critically important because you, you can't impose on someone how they best work. Like It's like trying to tell a kid that they have to learn the same way as every other kid. Uh, everyone's got unique ways of digesting and and sort of consuming information so just telling everyone they have to work in the same way it's nonsense however the problem is that if you're working from home fully and fully remote pretty much most of the time you are really going to struggle to establish a kind of um, mentor relationship or, or even really strong advocacy mm. and I think that's a that's something that the kind of emerging generation that's entered the workforce in the last five years don't understand well, I mean, the, the problem is we're talking from a framework that's existed the way that it has for however long, yeah. right? So maybe we don't necessarily know what this is going to look like 20 years from now. But well, I, well, Not 20 years from now, but I can tell right you now. right now. Yeah. Like, While no, boomers are still in the workplace. Exactly. No 50 or 60-year-old is going to like Remote work have 20. some social fucking event on Zoom on with Zoom. you yeah. that's going to create opportunities for you to develop relationships totally. with them. Yeah. They're going to say, we're going to the pub, we're going to do this, we're going to play golf, we're going to do that. You know, the traditional kind of corporate, social. you know, social events is what they're going to stick to. So let me put it to you then. I get you uh, on that point. What about, so let's say you're a person who is a massive introvert. I know you're an introvert. Mm. I also struggle with the workplace social. I just don't like them, right? I just, yeah. you know, I want to do my job and I want to go home at the end of the day. Yeah. How do you, how do you circumvent that then? You know, what do you do? Yeah, it's tricky because like... Um, I don't like forcing conversations um, and it makes me feel like dirty when you... I'm not a beers with the boys kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. But there's multiple things like... Um, well, I think the formal mentorship is one way. Definitely, yeah. Like you can stick to the structured situation and really try and get the most out of that, um, which is important as long as your mentor really understands the role that they're supposed to play with it. Um but I unfortunately think there is a degree where you just have to suck it up and do this stuff. Yeah. Like, I especially think I, earlier in your career. I think throwing yourself at opportunities to work on projects outside of your remit or your sort yep. of your that's your other main one. So let's yep. say if you're a if you're a, a zoomer that's, you know, not I'm not buying into the whole social workplace thing, mm. your options are 
formal mentorship and by that you have to be the one driving it yeah because at the end of the day there's no incentive for the more senior person to drive it like yeah. and yeah, then yeah, definitely you also have to throw yourself at as many extra sort of yeah. opportunities that you can sort of come across in terms of outside of your those are the two options i think you have yeah in terms um, of mentoring in terms sure. of mentoring in terms of any even gaining the advo- advo- like opportunity for an advocate yep um Otherwise, it's a traditional method of like beers with the boys, drinks at work, you yeah. know, yeah, off your sure. shoulders. Yeah, I think as like we're, we're going to do a full other episode on like when it's when it's time to leave your job, um, but yeah, get, being able to perform, being able to sort of be yourself, being being a high high achiever, having advocates, um, I think is critical. Being able to navigate your career progression and make the right decisions, having mentors is is really important as well. Yeah, I agree. So sort of last bit on this topic then is to say yep. you have a mentor you have an advocate in a business mm-hmm. how do you keep that relationship mm. you know, how do you how do you um sort of nourish that relationship and keep it going it's definitely got to be a two-way thing after a point right like um like i said ho- ho- finding the right person is, is important to begin with and i think the best way the best thing that's worked for me is finding someone who has a mutual kind of drive to perform mm-hmm. um in terms of the business performance and individual performance um so if you've got that kind of underlying um commonality that that really helps but then it's yeah like for, for me being able to continue to add value mm-hmm. so <clears throat> they know that they can rely on you to do something at the drop of a hat like you know your your loyalty is also critical as well so like this w- works in both ways, right? Like they might be getting a, a promotion or they might be, you know, up for a new role or might be tra- taking on a new challenge. Just because you're below them doesn't mean that you don't have as, as much of an impact on them being able to do that too. Mm. So it becomes a two-way relationship, you know, like they might say, oh, Pete, I really need you to kind of write this reference for me or, you know, this um, recommendation for me to take on this project or this new role or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, it is definitely a two-way street. And I think one of the things that people get stuck in when you're a, a mentee is thinking that it is a one-way street and that you like you f- kind of feel uncomfortable about it being a one-sided relationship. Mm. It def- it's not like people who I mentor, uh, I just really like doing it. So I get a hell of a lot of satisfaction out of that anyway. Yep. Um, but down the track, like at different situations, I'm going to lean on those people and say, you know, you've got this relationship with this person, that person's really important to me right now. I do can, that all the time, yeah. even with my own staff sometimes. Yeah, can you can you go and bat for, go into bat for me on this thing? Or even just like fact-finding, yep. you know, yeah. I'm trying to figure out something, hey, I, you've got a good relationship with it. Like I do that, one of my, one of my staff's a social butterfly. If yep. I want to know something or get a piece of information, yeah, I know I can get it. It's 100% a two-way street and I think people like uh, when when they've got a mentor, they feel like, uncomfortably that it is one-sided and it's 100% not. Yeah. I think also we were talking about like, you know, when you've got someone in senior management sort of advocating for you, mm-hmm. verbalizing how you know good you are, that goes in reverse. So say you have several people below you, they'll talk good about you to their bosses and their bosses. Yeah. You know, it, it does have a cross-pollination kind of yeah, effect. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the, the, the key drivers for us in, in this podcast – uh, the I, I can't I- express enough just how important these two types of people are f- um, in your career. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Let's take a break. Sweet. All right. And we're back. So I wanted to... So this is a kind of a newish kind of... So let's say we usually have a segment, but I'm just kind of like spitballing some different things but we're talking about sort of having advocates or friendships in high places mm-hmm. i kind of want to discuss a couple unlikely friendships so i've just kind of done a bit of research online and found some sort of very unlikely sort of famous pairings you'd never guess mm. and i kind of want to maybe have a chat about what, what how how these potentially have influenced each other's lives in a, in in a way that's benefited them both yeah so the first one uh okay so i'll see if you can guess well, right so we've got a famous female pop star one of the most famous female pop star celebrities taylor swift oh pretty close another blonde 
More our generation. Britney Spears. Yeah, good guess. And then the other one we have is a famous older male actor, uh, like a a star celebrity male actor. Yeah. Was, was in The Passion of the Christ. Oh, Mel Gibson? Yeah, so that's yeah. it, exactly. So these two are really good friends. Really? Yep. Crazy, right? So it says here, uh, post-public meltdown, Gibson reached out to Spears after she had her own public meltdown. The two have um, counseled each other throughout the years. Wow. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, the the like similar thing. So uh, who was it? Joaquin Phoenix won, yes. won the Oscar, right? Yep. Uh, no, Robert Downey Jr. Sorry, yep. Robert Downey Jr. won an Oscar. And also friends with... Mel Gibson. Also friends with um, Leslie Jordan. They were in jail oh. together. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he got up there and said, like, Mel Gibson said he'd give me a role. Yeah. Like, to get me back off. Back on the thing. Like, you know, is yep. it on the wagon or off the on wagon? On the wagon? I don't know. No, you get on... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I on never, the acting I can, wagon. I can never remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> off the drug wagon. <laughs> yeah, off the drug wagon and back on the acting wagon. So anyway, like, yeah, Mel said to him... You know, I'm going to give you this this role, and that's restarted Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Yeah, and um, there's some other really famous examples. I mean, Entourage, the whole TV show, yeah, is around like, you know, one successful actor giving work to all of his friends, and there, there's like n- heaps of examples of that. So like, um, oh shit, what's his name? Adam Sandler. Like, everyone in his movies are his mates, pretty much. Yeah. Like and and what I was mean, they're same with the SNL cast. They're all yeah, yeah, yeah. They all look after each other, heavily embedded. And it's funny, like my wife and I went to Morocco, I think, like a year ago, and we were doing like a trek in the mountains, and there were these random people just on the side of the road trying to sell trinkets. Yeah, no one was buying any of this stuff. Yeah, and I just I asked the guide, I was like, how do these people survive? And like, you know, how do they live every day and have food? And he said. Like in in Morocco, the, these communities, like they just share everything. Yeah, they're communal. Yeah, and that was a massive takeaway for me. It's like, the same as the um the Amish people. How you know the like a barn raising, like they'll all yeah. get together one weekend, the whole community, and they'll all build a barn together. Yeah, we've got to be careful. We don't start talking about communism here, but um, <laughs> but like the the concept of like not fighting your own battle all the time. Yeah. It, it, it's a very Western, <laughs> yeah. It's a very Western thing though. Like everyone's is, yeah. competing everyone's against out for each other. Yeah. But in reality, the, the the biggest successes that like that I've had have been as a result of people helping me, and yeah. I've purposely tried to do that with others. And if you can carry that, and you can call it formally mentoring or advocacy or whatever, but mm-hmm. in reality, it's just like having a collective um approach to mm-hmm. things as much as possible yeah then i think that's the best recipe for success yeah in your career and just generally totally yeah all right so throw some another one at me yeah so i think uh, i think it's not very well and truly before my time um blonde bombshell actress from the 50s very famous about as famous as they come um think of a skirt blowing up in the marilyn monroe that's it and then Manson. <laughs> <laughs> and then our other one is a famous um, woman of color, also from the same era, singer, uh, who sung the original song At Last. Oh. Aretha Franklin? No. Mm, oh, no. I uh, think, oh, God, I hope it's right. But, um, and then she also sings that. Um, you know that Avicii song that started with, oh, sometimes I gotta be pinched? Uh, yeah, She's yeah. the voice from that. Yeah, man, I don't know who that Ella is. Fitzgerald. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was never going to get that. Yeah, okay. So, basically, in order for Fitzgerald to get pulled to the club, Monroe promised to show up every time she'd perform. So, this is black. Oh, back, wow. back in the... D- bit of Pope there. <laughs> back in the day when, um, you know, um, African-Americans were really struggling to yeah, yeah. make a mark, um, Marilyn Monroe essentially wow. advocated for her. And Fitzgerald's yeah. career took off after that and her they became really good friends. Yeah, wow. So, I suppose... What I find interesting is like, and we've talked about on previous episodes about diversity and inclusion, but like having an advocate can kind of, yeah, it can help you with it. Yeah. yeah. So me being gay, for example, like, you know, having an advocate potentially show up for me could help me overcome any prejudice or bias. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you stood up for me many times. It It shouldn't have to. We'd like to preface that. You shouldn't have to. But it's interesting how these sorts of relationships can really help you. Yeah, for sure. No, that's super interesting. Very interesting. I found that. Okay, I had another one here before. 
find this one ironic. <laughs> okay. So think of a really famous, I think she's deaf and blind person. <laughs> she's like the most famous. She's deaf and blind. She might just be deaf. No, she's deaf and blind. Helen Keller? No. I know the name, but yeah. I don't know who it is. Yeah. Uh, and then she's very deaf and mute. Right. And then the person who invented the telephone. Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah, Bell, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before his famous invention, Bell taught students who were deaf and mute. They stayed in touch and he helped her financially. She dedicated her autobiography to him. Wow. Isn't that so interesting? That's just yeah. an interesting one. Yeah, okay. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. I think there's a strong like uh, strong message. People really need to, you know, not not just get your head head down and bum up, which which gets you a long way, but you know, doors need to be opened and um I think quite a quite a bit of this as well. Like I've spoken to my wife about this. Um, don't be afraid to like start asking favors and opening yeah. these doors and yeah. relationships because it is critical. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing about these unlikely friendships uh, is another really good one, actually. Sorry, one last one. Yeah, sure. Uh, Mr. Worldwide. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> Pitbull. And then um, the leads lead from Greece, uh, John Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> I like this one. This one's just fun. Yeah. Travolta said his good friend Pitbull inspired him to shave his head. <laughs> Travolta is a fan of Pitbull and Pitbull contributed to a song for Travolta's movie, Gotti. Okay. There you go. It's kind of a weird relationship. I love that one. <laughs> okay. He inspired me to shave my head. Okay. Do I inspire you to grow your hair out? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know. That's kind of... I don't know if that's a good... That one's a good example. <laughs> of like... <laughs> progressing each other yeah but yeah i'm okay, bold cool, because man. of him yeah yeah but yeah i think the crux of this is that yeah obviously having friends and leveraging those friendships is really beneficial to everyone involved yeah just relationships not just friendships absolutely cool well that's all the time we have for today to stay up to date with latest episodes don't forget to like and subscribe feel free to leave us a comment as we'd love to hear from you and let's see if i can get this right if you want to email us <laughs> <laughs> it's snakes n ladders podcast at gmail.com ah nailed it that's the first <laughs> time you got it right in the first <laughs> go well done Fuck love yeah. your questions alright thanks, thanks mate, mate. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.